Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. As always, the music for the show today is provided by Misha Zarin, so thank you, Misha. I also want to briefly mention the Ozarks Food Harvest, which is a food bank here in southwest Missouri. To be clear, I have no official relationship with Ozarks Food Harvest, but they are doing very important and meaningful work to help feed hungry people across many locations in the area. I encourage you to find a way to contribute to your local food bank, as it is a cause that has an immediate impact on people in your area. This week, we are joined by the grandfather of baby sign language, Dr. Joseph Garcia. Dr. Garcia is the author of Dr. Joseph Garcia's Complete Guide to Baby Sign Language and Baby Sign Language in 14 Days for parents to learn how to develop nonverbal communication with their babies. He has also written Dr. Joseph's Finger Spelling Book with illustrations for children and Medicine for use by medical professionals who may encounter parents and babies that are utilizing sign language. Additional information on these books and Dr. Garcia's work are available at drjosephgarcia.com. Dr. Garcia is a proud father and generous person with fascinating experiences from his work. Beyond the practical implications of his work, Dr. Garcia is a warm soul who has spent his life making the world a better place. I was very grateful for the opportunity to meet him and speak with him on the show. And without further ado, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Dr. Joseph Garcia. Thank you so much for joining. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm just wonderful in this pandemic time. I'm a bit isolated, but that's okay too. Right. Yeah, aren't we all? Um, well, Dr. Garcia, thank you again for, for joining the show. Um, I um, recently came across you on on Podit, which is a platform that, that I've talked about on the show before, but that connects podcasts and guesters, or excuse me, podcasters and guests is what I mean to say. Um you are the, the person who's considered the grandfather of, of baby sign language. Is that correct? Well, I've, uh, some people term that uh, probably because my book was one of the first ones out there. I did some of the first research, and I spent a lot of time, I would just say, in the trenches, on the road, traveling around the country, Europe and Canada, trying to convince people of the merits and benefits of using signs with babies before they can talk. And so I was sort of, um, I guess, considered... The first, even though um, there's many out there now uh, that 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 uh, promote and encourage parents to to sign with their babies, they call me grandfather, probably because I'm old, but also because I was <laughs> one of the first. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so you know, I guess um, when when exactly did you kind of start down this road? Was it the first book was written in the '80s? Is that correct? Well, when you say start down that road, you mean as far as publishing uh, my work? Yeah, I published my first book. I think I finished my research in 1988 and uh, published my first book shortly. Actually, I published a paper, but that didn't go very well because it was only for the academic community and the small mm. school I was at didn't, that was not a big thing. So people kept asking me for my results, my research of my sign language communication with infants. And because uh, I also signed with chimpanzees before I got a chance to meet, um, you know, uh, Jane Goodall and all that. But uh, oh, wow. 
but the important thing was that communication was really important to me. And uh, starting down that road, yeah, I, I did finish my research and publish my first book. I think my first book came out in 1994 because I got these requests to send copies of my research all the time. And so back in those days, you go to a Xerox machine, it's 10 cents a copy. So I was going broke sending free copies of my research to all these colleagues who wanted to know more about my, my findings. So I ended up quitting my job at the university and uh, writing a book on it. And I did. It was a little pamphlet, actually, but it uh, created quite a stir. It uh, started the whole baby sign language revolution around the, the country and eventually the world. So I guess um, <laughs> you never know what one little guy can do sometimes, you know, with a little bit of, of passion and some um, encouragement. Yeah, well, that's why I thought it was so fascinating, just because it, it's something that I think, you know, I personally am not a parent, so uh, I don't have personal experience with with this sort of thing. But um, even as, as you know, as much of a layman as I can be in all of these arenas, I'm even familiar that that's something that exists. Um, so, yeah, it, it is definitely fascinating to <laughs> to understand that you've been able to have that much impact around the world um, with with your work. So so if you finished your research in, in 1988, roughly, when did you, when did, I guess, did you first kind of recognize that maybe there was a possibility that babies could, could learn sign language and could communicate prior to being able to speak? Well, that's two separate different issues. Publishing okay. my book and doing my research was just sort of a, oh, I'll tell you that story in a second. It's a real quick story. It's kind of funny, actually. It's kind of like a, an accident mistake that turned into this whole thing. But, um, in first grade, I went to a parochial school in the early 50s. I was born in, in the 1940s, so I'm an old guy. And um, in those kind of settings, they didn't have special education yet. That wasn't part of the uh, curriculum at a public institutions. And the only way people with special needs children could get an education was to go to parochial schools. Uh, so I was in one of those schools, and we had they always put the people in the back who needed special care. So we had a deaf child back there. I was the only person of color in my entire school. So <laughs> I was put back there. <laughs> and uh, mm. there was also a blind person who was there. And we had a mentally retarded uh, person who was there who was developmentally disabled. Back in those days, they called them mentally retarded. But now it's, of course, um, politically incorrect to, to do so. And I'm really glad because they've gone through a whole series of terms. My degree, my in, initial degree is in special education. So mm. I've, I've saw, seen the history of how people have used terms to denigrate or, you know, uh, extricate people from our society. Anyway, all that being said, I started to see when I was a very young child that uh, people with other abilities, we didn't call them disabilities back in those days, uh, we used to play sign language games in class and I was in getting in trouble for it because the teacher couldn't catch us doing it because they couldn't hear anything. Every, they turned around to write on the blackboard back when we had blackboards. Um, we'd start playing sign language games in, in the back of the room and she couldn't see it or hear it. I mean, she couldn't hear it, but she could see it. But uh, anyway, th those that was my first encounter with s sign language. So I never saw it as a strange or unusual thing. I just saw it as something that some kids did, you know, that was a simple thing. But it wasn't mm -hmm. until I grew up and I started to hang. I had a dog sled team up in Alaska and I used sign gestures with them to control the dogs when they weren't in the team, when they were just out and about in the team. They always are facing forward, of course. But uh, I also signed with the chimpanzees a little bit because I got involved in sign language. I was getting ready to go in the military 
And before I went overseas, I was at um, Fort Polk, Louisiana, getting ready to, to go overseas. And I went to Houston for a, a weekend. And the deaf community took me in out of by accident. I was happened to be at a park and they were there and we met each other. And next thing I knew was I was going out having pizza with them. And they, uh, I knew a little tiny bit of sign, like, you know, finger spelling or something. And they thought that was kind of cool. So they said, yeah, come on along with us. So I went around and bought people pizza and hung around with them. And I swore if I ever survived the military, this is 1970, <laughs> if I ever survived the, the army, I was going to learn sign language so I could really communicate with the deaf and not just finger spell. So I did survive the military and I came back and I took a class in ASL and I got picked up by a bunch of deaf people who took me under their arm and said, hey, if you really want to learn sign language, forget this class, come and hang with us. So I, this is back, you know, 1973 or so. So instead of going to the class, I just hung out with my deaf friends, put earplugs in and became deaf for about a summer or so. And that really taught me how to sign like the deaf sign. And hmm. in that process, I, of course, I eventually became an interpreter for the deaf. But in that process, I noticed even hearing children being raised by deaf adults could sign complete sentences and complete thoughts and had all kinds of communication going far younger than traditionally developing speaking children. And it didn't seem unusual to me because I was used to seeing sign and all that. But the vocal mechanism doesn't mature until you were 16, 18, 20 months old, whereas you can squeeze your hand together at four or five, six months or point your fingers together at eight, nine months. So um, it always I always wondered why hearing people didn't do that, even though the deaf did. Uh, I guess it's because of the separation of, of, of our society from those with disabilities or other abilities, as I call it. Um, but. <clears throat> When I was stuck in graduate school trying to pick a topic to do a research, everybody had to do a research project. And I was working at the University of Alaska at the time, and my the president, I was a special assistant to the president of the University of, of Alaska. And he said, Joseph, don't do some crazy, weird study. Just do something simple that you already know the answer to. Turn it in, get your grade, and then go out and change the world. Don't try to change the world while you're going to school. So I took his advice, and instead of doing a real complex uh, graduate research project, I did a project to prove that babies could sign long before they could talk, which I knew was true and easy, but the rest of the world thought, ooh, what a mystery. Mm -hmm. So um, I put the study together with 17 families. They were all babies four months old. I gave them a set of instructions of how to go about you know, introducing. I don't teach signs to baby. That's really important. I express that clearly on my website too. You don't teach signs to baby. You include signs in your normal communication and the babies pick up on them. And it's crucial that they learn to use their internal mechanisms and their internal resources in order to uh, problem solve. Like they see some milk or something and, they, and they're thirsty they know the sign for milk. They see it made all the time. Every time they get nursed or get the bottle, finally they reach their hands up and they do the sign for milk. Pretty soon the parent or the caregiver gives them the milk and they go, well, okay, I control my environment. I don't have to ride the roller coaster of life. I can navigate through life through my own internal resources. And that is the critical, important aspect of why people should sign with their child because it helps children identify problem solving at a 
critical cultural point of their life and allows them to navigate through life using those resources rather than riding the roller coaster of life out of control, having everything dictated to them and controlled by others for them. So I think that is one of the more empowering things that happens to kids is that they they discover that resource and they use it. As a result, it changes their life, their attitude on how they approach life. But that's kind of what, what happened is that I, I did the research, I put the study together, I wrote the paper when I was done. It was a three-credit class in a graduate school. And next thing I know is I'm publishing a book and starting this whole signing with babies uh, revolution that became you know, that started. And like I said, have you ever heard about using signs with babies? Well, before I did this, you didn't, <laughs> you know, so apparently right. I was pretty effective <laughs> in getting the word out. But again, I put a lot of road miles on. I traveled all across the country, East Coast, West Coast, South, North, up to Canada, over to Europe. Um, I was going to go to Asia and every place, but in other places, but I ran out of money and I'm, I'm, I'm a poor doctor, not a rich doctor. Uh, <laughs> so all, all of my books have made money for other people. <laughs> well, so that, that, that leads me to a, a question that I had wanted to ask that, I mean, you kind of touched on, but just to make sure I'm understanding. So and again, I don't, you'll have to forgive my ignorance when it just comes to child develop, development at, at large. Sure. But um, I understand that, that a lot of our personality is kind of imprinted and, and maybe that's not the right word, but imprinted between like zero and five. Yeah. So do you think that, that baby sign language and a, and a baby learning that has, you know, because you were talking about how they can learn to control their environment at that age. So do you see, see that that has a lasting effect through that individual's life? Okay, well, this let's let's talk about this because I get this a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Now, people say, does sign language raise the intelligence of my baby? Well, that's <laughs> not the function of it, number one. Now, there is mm -hmm. a longitudinal study by a Credlow and Goodwin from UC Davis that shows that sign, signing babies score approximately 14 points higher on IQ tests at age seven, I think it is, than children who don't sign. But it's not the sign language necessarily that does that. You have to understand, yeah, it's the communication ability. When kids who sign, sign ball, that's fine. When kids traditionally developing who say the, finally say the word ball, the other kids are saying, yeah, it's red and it bounces this high because they've named the item months earlier so now they're adding more information onto that nomenclature or what, what when they name an item now they can talk about that item and where other mm -hmm. kids are just naming the item these kids are already talking about those things so there is some foundational development that you add on over months that does make a significant difference in your capacity to express your ideas and and talk about things but understand that Caregivers and parents who spend time uh, modeling signs, and again, I say modeling, not teaching, modeling the signs to their babies are going to be more developmentally aware. They're going to be, you're going to, first of all, reduce the tantrums and the amount of tantrums and the duration of tantrums because the babies can communicate. And mm. that is a fact. There's no doubt about that. But that time is better used for developmental activities than just dealing with the issue at hand of the, why they're crying or having the tantrum. So also those parents who tend to sign tend to be more focused on their children's development. And here's a real critical aspect. When you have a mechanism, a feedback mechanism with which you can communicate with your child and you can see the result right there coming right back at you, it makes you more engaged. And that increased engagement is what kind of elevates the child's intelligence and their engagement. And you're right, that cultural imprint is the first three years of life and their mm. broad base of 
intelligence design, all there's synapse connections in their brains. There's 50 trillion at birth and 500 trillion at age five. So the growth in the brain is phenomenal um, in, during that first five years. But the first three years is when you're culturally seeing who to trust, who not to trust, what to touch, what to taste. You know, you're bringing everything into your mouth. You're, you're, you're looking to see what, what's going on in this world, you know. And so those first three years, if you can put some problem-solving uh, attitude in there and some, you know, some inner resource identification for the child in there, that is critical for their lifelong attitude of how they approach life versus waiting for things to happen to them or initiating and motivating themselves to make things happen. I think that's what I hear from a lot of parents that, well, I signed with my first child, but not my second, or I, usually it's the second child, but not my first. And the second child just tends to um, go after stuff all the time or, or do things. Now, who knows about personality? I'm not making the claim that sign language will sure. do something different for your child because every single human is different. Their ind individual personalities are different. Their learning capacity, the way they learn, learning styles are different. So you, you ask a very loaded question there. And my response <laughs> is that, yeah, signing will help your child to communicate better if it raises intelligence. It's one of the many clogs in that gear that help that intelligence roll, but it's not the only factor. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I didn't mean to imply that that, that you had suggested at any point or, or were that, you know, um, that this was a, you know, the key to <laughs> successful parenting and nothing else <laughs> goes into it. Oh, um, I understand. I, well, I get a lot of uh, people c coming at me. And again, we've had people who actually have controversy about using signs with babies you're make you're forcing them to communicate too much earlier you know I, i've heard this from from mostly anthropologists or people saying that they're you're putting stress on the child no you're not you're taking away if you do it right yeah if you force feed signs on a child and make them feel like they have to sign then yes you are committing a major infraction in developmental you know um uh behavior you should never ever force a child to sign or withhold care based on them producing a sign like you don't get any milk until you sign milk you know <laughs> i would oh my gosh no you know right. um, the whole idea is that you add signs to your normal like back my um my 14-day program and I, i'm not pushing my program i don't care what program you use just as long as you engage with your child that's the important thing but i have developed a, a program called baby sign language in 14 days and what it does is it gives you a 14-day program. Every day you learn just a couple more signs about a different event. And pretty soon, by the end of the 14 days, you're going to have 80 signs to talk about with your kid. And I'll tell you what, that is an enormous amount of signs. Most people just have milk, more, and eat, and they're done. And if, can you ima imagine going through life <laughs> using three words in your entire vocabulary all day long and never saying anything else? Your child grows up knowing that milk more and eat are the only words on, on the earth, you know. Um, so you don't want to <laughs> give your child two or three signs and then say, oh, that was fun. Look how cute he signs that. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's right. like you're giving him three words and then you're shutting up for the rest of your life. And so um, I do recommend that you have a plethora of information to give your child so that your child can respond and talk about all these different things. Yeah, well, and like you mentioned earlier, you know, it's not something where you're you're like drilling with the child as much as you're just incorporating it into your normal communication. So, 
it, it really couldn't be overwhelming because it's not it's not something separate from what's already happening, right? Like it's just something for them to kind of intuitively pick up on as opposed to something that they're being <laughs> rigorously trained in. Um, I don't know how rigorously you can train a baby anyway, but... <laughs> <laughs> try, try to just have it stay still while you're changing the diaper. <laughs> anyway, right. but the, the, this is an important point. Um, yeah, you don't teach a baby anything. What you're doing is you're just... In fact, I recommend parents, whether they're going to sign or not, that that's up to them, but they should narrate their activities throughout the day anyway. Oh, look, I'm picking up the towel. I'm going to shake it out a little bit. Now I'm going to wipe your nose, make it nice and clean. I'm going to fold the towel and put it down again. You know, just saying that gives language to the child. They, they associate with the activities to the sounds of the words, whether you're speaking French, German, English, Spanish, whatever. They're associating those rhythms and those sounds with what it is that you're doing and the activities and what they're feeling, whether it be they're frightened, when all of a sudden they hear a bark, a sudden dog bark, and they startled, then you sign the sign for scare or startle real quick. Go, oh, what was that? And now they can associate that motion, that gesture with what they just felt. So if they ever feel scared or frightened or about something, they can do that sign again and let the parent know, hey, this is one of those times when I feel that, you know. Um, that Those are the kind of things, that's if you narrate your life, you offer the associative factors between what you're doing, what your baby's experiencing, and the sign and or the word or the, or the sound that you're making during that experience. And that gives them that associative relationship. And as a result, they can grow in their understanding of the world as well as their ability to express and communicate themselves. Do you see that either A, that kids are retaining the sign language, like as they go from, from <laughs> babies to toddlers and then toddlers to, to whatever the next phase is, little kids? I don't I don't know what the appropriate term is. <laughs> adults. Um, they go from toddlers to adults. Just, uh, there is no – and the teenage time, you have to put, put them in some kind of a concentration camp for about eight years, and then uh, you're and then you're fine. I've No, I've gone through – I've got a 49-year-old. I've got a 32, a 30, and an 18. So uh, I've been through it all four times, and I'll tell you what, it's uh, quite an experience. <laughs> this is the thing that, that you'll see. We've shown babies a sign one time, mm -hmm. and then two or three months later, we're doing something. That baby will all of a sudden make that sign, and the parent's forgotten it now, but the baby still re remembers it. You know, you have to remember, parents have a full head full of all kinds of stuff, and they're trying to put in something new. A baby has a blank slate. You put something in it, they'll remember that for the rest of their life. And now, one other thing that I, I want to just touch on, and that's mm -hmm. memory. You talked about can they remember you. you I'm, I'm like a 
cross-examination attorney here. You bring up a word, you, you're going to open up a whole plethora of, of, of crap <laughs> for me. Um, a baby's mind is completely blank, right? So when you say something or add something to that blankness, you've got substance now. Those synapse connections connect. And that stimulates a part of the brain, which is waiting for stimulation. So it wants things to remember, you know. Uh, And that's why your memories will go back visually pretty young. But you'll notice that there's a point where you don't remember anything before that time. And Mm -hmm. in most people, that time is when they started to associate reality to words and their language. In other mm. words, once you have language, you can start creating more vivid memories than when you don't have language. Otherwise, you're you're remembering things in a pictorial fashion rather than a conversational or that third voice, we call the third voice, the inner voice concept of memory. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there's also, as people get older, the synapse connections hit dead end sometimes. But if they're learning new things all the time, they create new sections or, or, or new connections and then when a, a thought hits a dead dead end it can go back down and reroute itself back up to that old memory through a new connection you've made by learning a language playing an instrument or doing something like that so they're finding that dementia patients as they exercise their minds more can reduce that dementia process a lot faster but with babies it's a blank slate you can you know, it's a void. You you fill it with something. They'll remember. It's the parent that needs to <laughs> be reminded, isn't the kid? Sure, sure. I know that that makes sense. So, is this something? Um, in is this something that exists within humanity, even outside of um, of the the structure or form of sign language as we know it in the modern world? And what I mean is, like, I think that people smile when they're happy is kind of a universal thing, regardless of your culture, right? Or, or people laugh when something's funny or cry when they're sad or, or whatever the thing may be. Okay. Do, do people use, and maybe that's not correct. That That's, a, I guess that's an assumption that I have, <laughs> um, which you're welcome Don't to Don't we all, we all know that we, we, everybody is like us, only a little bit different, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess my point just being, is it is this something that exists as a phenomenon within humanity in in cultures that maybe wouldn't wouldn't have even been exposed to you know the the research that you had done have you seen this anywhere else or is is this more of a, a modern phenomenon well gestural communication goes back as far as time i mean there was gestural mm-hmm. communication before language so if you ask that yeah there's been gestural communication okay. get lost sometime in a foreign country and see how much you're going to rely on gestures you know um mm. It's just that, that of course, it, it's, you know, like you said, there are certain basic human elements that are probably innate in all of us that we all uh, have an expression of fear, of anger, you know. Uh, and in fact, it's kind of interesting. When I first learned sign language, I said, well, what are the curse words? You know, everybody's all, you always have that morbid curiosity of all the words that are, <laughs> well, what, how do you say this, this, this? And it was funny. He says, well, we don't have curse words in ASL. He says, what do you mean you have curse words? Well, when you communicate in ASL, you're looking right into the eyes, the the windows to the soul, right? So mm. you're looking in the eyes and you express 80% of what you're saying through the eyes. The signs are just cues. And I didn't understand that for the first maybe 14 years of signing with deaf people until I finally hit me one day that, oh, I was understanding more of the person through their face and their eyes through their signs i knew that like you don't think of the letters that you hear when you hear me talk do you 
You right. hear, in fact, you don't even hear the individual words that I'm saying. What you're hearing is the content of what I'm saying in small groups. Okay, mm-hmm. so think of that in ASL. You're we're not seeing the individual signs like people coming new to the language are. We are. That's a, a given. We've got that now. Now we're going deeper into the person's soul through their eyes, and that's where the communication is. So this person says, "Listen, when I'm mad at you, you'll know it. I don't need to work use curse words with you. I you'll mm-hmm. know exactly how I feel because you'll see it. You know." And that was so. I mean, they. They do have ways to, 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 you know, oh, that's crap or that's not any good or those kind of things. But it's not like it is in English. It's not the same kind of specific words or, are, you know, you can't say those words. Oh, those are politically incorrect. Oh, those are, those are, you know, what, what did uh, George Carlin, you know, his seven mm. uh, dirty words kind of thing. I'm just saying that those, that culture is different. And when you and, and when you ask me about this universal, universality or the, the universal nature of communication we have different tongues different sounds that we make with our vocal mechanism to create languages everything from clicks to whistles to all different kind of things to communicate well every country has its own in fact in this country the united states you can go down south or up north and they can talk and you won't know what they're talking about because they use mm. so many colloquialisms and and local terms for things um, same when ASL, American Sign Language. It's used in in America and Canada for the most part, and northern Mexico a little bit. But as you go out of that region, you're into Mexican Sign Language or Europe or German Sign Language or French Sign Language or whatever. You know, there's different sign mm-hmm. languages in different countries of the world. Now, our sign language came from France, so there's a certain compatibility. Between, between I was in Paris and I spoke, spoke with some deaf people and they could understand me a lot better than I could understand them. But there was a lot of base understanding that we could do because about 30, 40 percent of the signs maintained the same as French, French sign language came here. But as with all languages, they grew since 1700s that both morphed into their own thing. But uh, but this is the thing. You take two people from two completely different cultures, put them in a soundproof booth facing each other and then put two deaf people from two different cultures in the same situation within 10 minutes, you're going to have those deaf people having clear communication about all kinds of things. Whereas the hearing people won't be able to talk about anything at all. And they can have completely different sign languages because when you're signing, you're painting a picture with your hands in a way, and you're doing very iconic representations of things with your hands and your body and movement and space Whereas you can't do that with words. You have to make sounds and all they've seen is their mouth opening up and up and down and they have to start pointing to things. And if there's nothing in the room to point at, what are they going to talk about other than the chair they're going to sit on? You know, so anyway, I don't want to go on about this, but I'm just saying that, yeah, universally sign language is different, but there's a universal capacity with all of us to use gestures to be able to get our point across in cases where you have to. And among the deaf, it's a much more how would you say artistic and achievable result to get that communication clear within a very short period of time compared to trying to do it verbally? No, yeah, no, that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating answer. And that, that you actually answered the next question I was going to ask, which how does it differ around the world, which, you know, you just explained. Um, but that makes a lot of sense what you're talking about with, with, you know, if you had two pe- two deaf people in the, in the soundproof rooms or whatever kind of scenario, um, 
yeah, everything you just described makes a makes a ton of sense. But it's not something that I guess I had really um, given a lot of a lot of thought to. Of course not. Why would you? <laughs> it's like sure. why would you think about Braille and touch things unless you have to deal with those issues if you're deaf or I mean blind or know someone who's blind. So right. it's like you you are aware of the things of your experiences, and uh, that's why we all have different experiences, and that's why we're all so different. Sure. So would you advocate that that all people should know sign language, at, at least on some basic level, or maybe maybe the easiest second language for a person to learn? Well, put it this way. If the world would learn sign language, we'd have a universal language overnight. You know, because mm. uh, if you look at some, some of my materials, uh, look at the sign for book. Two hands coming together like your brain, and then you open them up like a book. <laughs> I mean, you know, tears. Your fingers run down your eyes like tears. Eat. Your hand, your fingers touch your mouth. Eat. You know, uh, I mean, we could have a universal language overnight if everybody would just accept one basic set of basic, let's say, 4,000 terms that are universally accepted, that are iconic in nature. Usually in ASL, signs of, of the emotion are around the chest and the heart. Signs around, around thought are around the head, the forehead, like dream, think, know, wisdom, all those kind of signs. There's a certain, uh, and also one thing that's really cool about ASL, I, I don't want to go too deep into this, but we can only say words linearly in row, one word after the other in order to communicate. Mm -hmm. In ASL, you can talk about three things simultaneously because you can use space and dimension and and motion on top of the words you're using, the signs you're mm. using. So you can talk about, put things in different spaces in front of you, point and refer to those, have those things interact with each other, and then in that case, move things forward or backward in space to mean past, present, or future all at the same time. So... Mm. It took me years to be able to understand and get to understand how you could speak. Like, for example, there there is a, a sign. Uh, I can't show you on the on, on this podcast, but I can. You tap your chest and you slap your hand. The back of one hand slaps the other hand. Just tap your chest and slap it. And that sign is, is a sign for, you know, last night I sat down to read a book at about 10 o'clock. I had to get to bed by 11 because I got an early morning but I started reading looked at the clock it was 1 30 in the morning oh my gosh I better get to bed what have I done or you're driving a car and you know Seattle 260 miles all of a sudden you look at the at the thing again Seattle 19 miles you go, oh my gosh I what, what has happened that lapse of time because you're daydreaming you're you're so involved or focused on something or all we've all experienced that in our life and we have no word to mean that well, in ASL, there's one quick sign that means that whole thing. So you can talk about concept to concept to concept just by making a couple of motions. We can't do that. in English. Well, we can in some cases of English. I can say my mother has anxiety. And that word anxiety means, you know, a bunch of stress that she's accumulated through past experiences or whatever her story is. So we do mm -hmm. have words like that. But in ASL, anything that's shared, uh, human shared experience tends to have a sign to it. Whereas we have to kind of define it or explain it in some cases. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of ASL. And you can also use your artistic creativity to create signs that have never been signed before and will never will be signed again. But everyone who's listening to you or watching you in this case will understand perfectly because of the artistic nature of sign. You're painting pictures with your hands. So, you know, one picture is worth a thousand words. So you can imagine what you can do once you can visually express yourself multidimensional with an artistic expression with your hands 
and speak in a conceptual nature rather than a lineal nature. It's an amazing language. And if we could learn to accept that as a as a positive benefit to our culture rather than, oh, those deaf people, they use sign language. You know, it's like, oh, they don't know. Sure. You don't know what you're missing, guy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. That, that was another um, that was another question I was going to ask is, do you do you think that it's hard to is or not? Is it harder to com- to communicate complicated ideas through sign language? But I mean, you just basically know. Um, not at all. We all share those. Yeah. yeah. If you're trying to explain what is the actual mechanism of growing a microchip for a phone in a laboratory setting. Now, mm-hmm. I could probably explain that easier and more clearly to you in sign language than you could in English. For example, I had to explain when I'm doing, med, I, I've got a book called Medical Sign Language. It's a comprehensive course in American ASL for the healthcare industry. And, mm-hmm. uh, and what it is, you'll see it on, on my website, uh, Dr. Dr. Joseph Garcia.com. It, it, it shows it there. But the point is, let's say you take a, a capillary. Now, you know what a capillary is. Mm-hmm. Yes? A small thing, right? It's a very small thing. But if you try to explain that to somebody, how would you explain it? You have to go through a long thing. Well, it's the vein gets uh, separated out into, you know, and you go into this whole explanation of, of when it finally gets down to the final vascule, the, the final ca- capillary that really only is a, a half millimeter or 0.23 millimeters in. Uh, you, you have to go into this. Well, I can show you in sign language in about three seconds, you know, or four or five seconds, what a capillary is visually as if you're watching a, an animated cartoon of it with my hands. Huh. And that's the beauty of ASL. Now, there are some things that are more difficult to explain, of course, but physical things that show shape and dimension and size you can, it's like a perfect artist with a sketch pad right there. They can just immediately show you what is, is that they're thinking or seeing so that there's, you know, what color blue are you thinking of? Well, now I can show you exactly what color blue that is because I can use my hands as paintbrushes to paint that picture for you. And, and again, I, I don't want to make it better than it is, but it is, it does have capacity that English or spoken language do not, and spoken languages have capacity that ASL does not. So there's advantages on both sides. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, that's something that I try and talk about often um, on, on this show is is that not, you know, not just not everything, but most things are not binary, right? They're not, there's not a zero-sum game. Um, and so the, the fact that there's nuance there where in some capacities there's advantages with sign language that, that spoken word doesn't have, and, and then conversely, there may be scenarios where spoken word has an advantage, but, um, but again, I mean, that, that, that adds up with the way the rest of the world works, right? Exactly. Right. 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 So, you know, if, if someone like someone like myself, if I was interested in learning sign language as an adult without a child, would it actually still make sense to perhaps get a book that's on baby sign language because it's going to be geared towards, someone who is a, a beginner with it. Does, does that make sense at all? Like, would this no, be, I guess? No, I, I would not okay. recommend that. If you're going to take a language course, I would take a language course, an ASL language okay. course for adults. Because, uh, and let me caution you. Now, all right, 
I've been a magician for 50 years and I've been an ASL interpreter also, you know, uh, I, I do the magic for fun for, cause I deal with a lot of kids. It helps, mm -hmm. uh, break the tension and get their attention so I can hold their attention for a longer period of time. Not babies, of course, but you know, younger kids. Cause I also do work with a lot of younger kids too. I've got a book that helps kids learn to read using their tactile element of, of motion, uh, finger spelling way to do it. It's, it's on my web website too. But anyway, the point is that, um, you know, when you're dealing with people a lot, you have to um, have that capacity to uh, to just in interact with them as much as, as you possibly can uh, exchange both ways, you know, positive and, 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 and their positivity coming to you, too. I, I know it's a little esoteric, but uh, as far as taking a class in sign language, um, you, learning a few baby words is great, but if you don't have the necessity to learn sign language, it'd be like learning Spanish and moving up north to North Canada mm -hmm. somewhere. Now, I would rather learn Yupik or something, and then I'd have a chance to speak it, or Athabascan or something, and I could speak that language up there. Whereas if you're not going to hang with deaf people or have a reason to, to mingle with the deaf community and sign you're not going to remember it. It's like learning a, a physical thing, like playing a couple of songs on the guitar and then putting down the guitar for five years. You're, you're not going to be able to pick it up and play it the way you did after you practiced for a long time. So I would say, yeah, learn ASL. That's great. It's, it'll help you in many, many ways. I, it helps me a whole lot in many, many ways too. But um, you have to have a reason to keep using it or you'll lose it real quick because it's a physical and a cognitive process. You're learning a new language that's more similar to Chinese than English as far as structure, but <laughs> it's a physical thing because you got to have coordination to move the hands around. Sure, you're a little awkward at first and trying to move from sign to sign, but that goes away real fast, like anything like bowling or, or archery. You know, after you do something for a while, you get muscle memory and it gets better and easier and easier and easier with anything. But you're learning a new style of communicating too. And that's good too. But once you have that going, you're around your peers, your other students, or you're online doing that, but you got to have a way to keep that going or it's going to be lost pretty quick. And I'm not trying to discourage people from not, you know, to not engage in ASL. What I'm saying is that, yeah, engage, but make sure you have a follow-up plan so that when you're done with the class, you can continue your ASL so that it gets better and better and you grow. Because I've been signing for, oh gosh, 30, 45 years. And I'm still learning all the time. A group of deaf people can get in a circle. And if they don't want me to understand what they're saying, they can leave me in the dust. And <laughs> I'm a sign language interpreter. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell book, you, literally. that's the reality of this. I'll tell you, you take two Australians who don't want you to understand what they're talking about, and they can do that too. You know, So any culture, if you take two Cajuns and they don't want you to know what they're talking about, they can talk about the fixing a starter in their car and you'll never understand what the heck they're talking about so it can happen in any culture in any language but the deaf specifically have um i don't want to say guarded but they have a, a hardcore asl that they can jump into that very few hearing people can ever keep up with because uh, they don't have punctuation in their communication there's no mm -hmm. sentence there's no paragraphs or periods they complete a thought and they'll keep going. <laughs> One thing people learn when they find when they start to learn ASL, they get visually fatigued 
within the first, oh, 10 minutes, they just can't take anymore. Because they're mm. all of a sudden, rather than hearing language, they're seeing language. And you get tired, really. It takes you a couple of months to years to be able to have a good, long conversation and not be tired at the end of the, of, of the conversation. So, because um, you're, you know, you're exercising a whole new set of, uh, of skills, of, of receptive right. skills. Huh. Yeah, well, and, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you spoke at the very beginning of our conversation about um, how you would, you know, put in some earplugs and, and for about a summer just kind of lived exclusively communicating with sign language, and that's really what kind of um, made it more concrete for you. But I, what that made me think of when you explained that was was I've also heard people, just as you just related it to, talk about, like, if you're going to learn, like, the example of Spanish that you used, you should be in an area where it is spoken regularly so that you can kind of immerse yourself in it so it makes sense that the same would be true for this as well exactly Um, i did the same in germany i moved there and lived there for a year and a half and i was on the ski patrol in the alps and i had to learn german and i forced i just jumped in there and just (laughs) learned it you know and it, it made all the difference in the world question that I always have for people that speak multiple languages um, as yourself is, do you find that learning, um, because just like you said, with, with ASL, there's not a sentence structure, right? Because it's not, it's not written in that Well, there's way. a structure. It's just not like English. Sure. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I, I, I don't mean to, to diminish it at all. I, yeah. No, but you said uh, there's no sentence structure. Oh, there's a correct. severe structure to it that you bet, better know or you'll be lost. <laughs> sure. Sure. That makes sense. Well, so then that, that makes the point even more than, so there's just, there's a different way that language is structured in, or that words or, or ideas get um, strung together. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So do you find that, 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 that even if you're, you know, now talking to me in English, that knowing these other languages has helped, does it help enhance your ability to communicate at all? And maybe that sounds like a strange question, but I guess, I guess just what I mean is that like by positioning things in different orders and in different ways, it seems like it it might help you to be more articulate in all of the languages from having practiced all of them. Does that make any sense? Is that a truth well, at all, or am I just out okay, on left what, field? What, no, you know that's a valid question because um, it's sort of like people ask, "Well, you're doctor this, you're doctor that. What does that mean?" You know, we we hold these people up on these pedestals, and it just means that you went to a different classroom than this other person went to and listened to a certain person's opinion, 
And then whether you valued it or not, it didn't matter. You paid the price, you got your degree, and now you have this name, whether it be a medical doctor, a psychology doctor, a research doctor, it doesn't matter. So the same thing with multiple languages. When you're forced to learn two languages, you do it, and you're, it's, it's no big deal. Um, if you want to learn two, two or three different languages, you can do it too. And what does it do for you? Um, I think learning ASL helps and hurts me a little bit both because I sometimes express my thoughts in more of an ASL fashion. And mm. as a result, hearing people have a, what? You know, because in ASL, you never, for example, here, here, here's a real clear example. Um, I'm going to give you two sentences. I'll, I'll sign it and I'll say what I'm signing and then I'll speak it. Okay. Okay. All right. In the ASL, my dog. Big, long, hairy, dark, butt, growls. Okay, now in English, I have a big, long, hairy, growling. You don't know what I'm talking about yet. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay, we always put our adjectives before the noun in English. Mm -hmm. In sign language, you always establish what you're talking about and when you're talking about it right off the bat, before you even mm -hmm. start to talk at all, before you start to express anything. So... I sometimes do that when I'm talking to people. Like you'll ask a question, and I'll say, "Intelligence." The reason why we're, you know, I'll I'll, I'll state what I'm going to talk about because that's the way I do it in ASL, and mm. I would not normally do that if I was just lecturing at a college. I lectured a lot of medical schools and co colleges and stuff like that, so I used to, <laughs> but um, and and I would find myself establishing the topic first. And then talk about that topic and talk about it in terms that I would kind of in ASL too a little bit. Um, but that's just because I think it's more clear. Yeah, well, because you, what you're kind of doing is you're establishing the broad, right, dog. That's the broad category of thing we're talking about. And then you're you're more narrowly defining it as you go through. As opposed to in English, we almost do it backwards where we start with the very specific. And to your point in your example, you can be 10 words into the sentence and you still don't know the broad category of dog that we're talking about, right? You just right. know all these specifics. And it can be used effectively at, for a comedians, you know, like, <laughs> you know, who likes to sniff butts, you know, you can start with that line and then right. you're talking, yeah, my dog. Well, of course they do, you know, but until right. you say that, you know, so it can be used both as a mystery as you talk because people don't know what you're talking about because of the structure of the language, or it can be used in, in humor or in suspense or mystery. Uh, and so it can be a tool, but I'm just saying you ask about the differences and, and mm -hmm. does it give you an advantage? And also uh, like uh, in German hospital, Krankenhaus, you know, sick house, you know, they, they, um, we, mm. There's, and also they string words together to mean what the institution is or what the thing is a lot of times. Whereas, and we do that sometimes too in some, some of our, our words, like not too tall or not too small kind of thing. We'll give some kind of descriptor to something before we state the, the, the actual name of the thing too. But um, no, I, I think just learning one language is a detriment that our country has put on us because I was the same way. I didn't know any other languages until I grew up and became an adult. Um, mm -hmm. My name is Garcia. And I'm not Hispanic, but I was adopted into a family named Garcia. And they mm -hmm. weren't Hispanic either. They were uh, African-American, Caucasian, and Native American. But um, uh, anyway, the point is that um, you, you put uh, – you get more languages. 
it tends to help your brain think different ways sometimes mm-hmm. keeps you sharp a bit um it's a challenge to an adult to learn a second language and i i, I learned greek for example for over three months so that i could go to greece with my son who was competing in a kung fu competition and within a month after i got back i can only say four or five words now you know but right. when i was there i was speaking in phrases and asking directions and understanding stuff and but I didn't use it, and three months after I was gone, it was gone. You know, so, huh. but it exercised those synapse connections in my brain. So hopefully, it'll hold off dementia just a few more months. You know, <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Well, so um, you know, you've mentioned it a couple of times, but but obviously, um, you've you've written several books, and so the first one was was published in nineteen ninety four. But how many books have you written in total on on this topic? Oh, just, well, just, well, I different topics. They're all based on the use of sign language in things like mm-hmm. baby communication. Of course, I've written a few on that. Then um, medical sign, log- sign language. I did a complete diagnostic course for that. That covers everything that you'd want to tell a doctor and most responses that, that you'll get when asked the questions. It's a pretty comprehensive course. I worked all across the country with, with physicians and hospitals across the nation to put that together and the deaf community, of course, with the, with uh, some really, I would say, uh, in the deaf world, very popular, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman type <laughs> actors oh, okay. uh, in the deaf community, a guy named Billy Sego and just really popular people. Back in those days, when we first filmed some of these things, they weren't, you know, big pop stars, but now they are. Um, <laughs> and anyway, uh, and I did a, uh, the fingerspelling book that's just now com- coming out. It's helping young kids learn turning learning to read into a game and a fun-like experience rather than a pressurized thing where you got to learn how to read now. These are the letters you got to put together. So by using fingerspelling, I put this book together that has um, these credible characters that tell this, these little poem stories day by day as they go through the week. And as you fingerspell all the words, you end up spelling all using all the letters of the alphabet. And there's some practice uh-huh. words at the back of the book that they can practice, starting with two letters and then three letters and four letters and like that. And they, uh, it's and you can do numbers from one to ten on one hand, you know, and uh, stuff like that. So kids lo- love it. In fact, the kindergarten teachers who I gave it to to to, to play with, they said, oh, "You won't believe this." The kids go out on recess. They sit across from the playground with each other and they fingerspell stuff to each other, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, and we try to include most of the competency words they're supposed to have by first, second grade. So these kids, four and five years old, are spelling all these words and their names and all this stuff. And it's a game. It's fun, you know. And, and also, and, and, and the O-U-G-H-T-I-O-N-S-I-O-N, when it gets to those kind of things, the physical manifestation of making those letters on your hands puts that tactile muscle memory aspect into learning. And it really supports and stimulates especially visual and tactile learners, which are about 58% of the, of the population out there. So um, I hope people really, really latch onto that and use the, my fingerspelling stuff. That's going to be exciting for their four and five-year-olds and six-year-olds sure. and readers. So but anyway, yeah, some... uh, uh, oh. there, there's 14 days to baby sign, uh, baby sign language in 14 days, my complete guide to, to baby sign. That's also, these are, one is just a video download that you put on your device so you can be right there with your baby and, and hit changing diapers. And there's all the signs for changing the diapers right there in video content, right uh. there. You look at them and do them right there. So uh, it's really a crazy thing that we just put together to, to, to respond to the, not 
to the pandemic, but to the need for people to have on their handheld device right there when they're doing something, you know? So um, sure. this way they don't have to remember uh, all the 80 signs at one time. They're just learning a small group each time they do a different activity. As a result, by the time they're done with all these activities, they know all these signs. It's, oh, that was easy. They don't have to sit and practice or do anything like that. So baby sign language in 14 days is really a good, good thing. And then my complete guide is, is a nice program. The MetaSign meta program is for the medical community. And then my fingerspelling guide is for young readers. So just really four, four current books are out there right now. Awesome. Um, so I, I guess... Um, hmm. I guess the, 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 the question I want to ask is, you know, you've been doing this for um, 50 years, 30, yeah, I think you said 35 or 40 years, I guess, earlier, maybe. Um, what inspires you to keep going now? Like what inspires you to keep creating new, new ways to teach people this stuff? And what, what are you, what are you getting out of it after all of this time that you've invested in it already? Well, it's the same thing that keeps you doing podcasts, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I mean, uh, why do you do what you do? You do it because you're interested in it. Uh, it's making sure. an impact in people's lives. Uh, yeah, you have to remember is that I can walk down the street once in a while, when I used to walk down the street, I should say, and uh, <laughs> I'll have a mom come up to me and say, oh, you're the baby guy, you know, and say, oh, I signed <laughs> with my baby. That was so cool. You just changed my life. I say, no, I didn't change your life. You changed your life. You are the one who did that, you know, with, with your child. Mm -hmm. So um, I just left the roadmap from, from where I had been. And uh, I discovered it by accident, too, because I, you know, cross-cultured. Whenever you cross-culture, can you imagine if Bach and Beethoven had had uh, some, some African drums <laughs> up, in, right. up in Austria and Germany and Russia back in the day? Man, they would have those, – those, those – Concerts would be rocking, man, <laughs> and right. a little rhythm to that. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. classical music would be would be much better. <laughs> oh, I tell you, well, it, it it that's what we have now. We have the the classical musicians putting rhythm to it, and that was the creation of jazz, of course, at some point. Mm. But um, you, anyway, the point is that uh, whenever you cross, the point is cross culture and cross culturalization. So you're taking a person from one culture and going to the other culture. And when you, when, when you cross culture people, you end up getting hybrids and things that, that are of benefit from one to the other. And that's simply what this, this is not about me. This is about the deaf culture, giving a gift to the hearing culture. Um, mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. I'm just merely a conduit or a, a guy who said, Hey, you know what? You guys should be doing this too. Cause my deaf friends are really getting a kick out of being able to communicate with their kids a year before they can talk as well as, Hey, you want to have fun having your kid learn to read? You know, those kind of, these are things that they have in their community that you are just unaware of. Well, help me. Here's the way to be aware of them now. Sure, sure. Well, I, I certainly can understand that position. Um, I uh, obviously am <laughs> not an expert on things um, and also just try and be a, a conduit to, to help. So um, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your story and your insights and your wisdom um, about this topic, because it's something that uh, clearly I am <laughs> had very little knowledge on. And I think probably a lot of people that don't, as you said earlier, that don't have a day-to-day a -day need in their own life to be familiar with these kinds of things or to be familiar with sign language, whether it be in relation to babies or in relation to the deaf community at large or, or whatever that may be. Um, 
So I just, I really appreciate that. Um, your website is drjosephgarcia.com, um, which I'll have links in the show notes for that. Um, anything else that you would like to, to discuss or, or cover while we're here together this evening? Oh, just, uh, you know, just in, enjoy life and don't, don't get too, uh, my dad used to say, there's a few things he used to say that really have made a big difference in, in, in my life. One is mm. don't take yourself too serious because 300 years from now, the Mongols won't care. Uh, he also would say, um, don't pick something up till you have a place to put it down. That's true with objects as well as relationships. And mm. also, if you want to be successful, just fill the void in other people's lives and you'll be successful. So that's kind of the, the you, you asked me at the beginning of the show, what, what was this all about? Why, why did you, you know, do all this? Or what, what is the purpose of this? I was following my dad's advice, filling a void. And when I was getting ready to have my first, you know, children, I said, well, I want to be able to know if they hurt somewhere. And, you know, you take the pain sign, put it by their ear, their tummy or their neck or for a sore throat or whatever. And I want to know that. In fact, we got some great stories of, of a mom in New York went to a doctor, said, doctor, my daughter has something wrong with her ear. So the doctor put the scope in there, looked in there and said, no, there's nothing wrong with their ear. It's fine. He says, no, there's something wrong with her ear. Well, he's thinking, you know, who is this woman? I'm a doctor. She's just a mom. How, you know, I looked in the ear. The ear is just fine. He says, well, why do you think mm -hmm. there's something wrong with your daughter's ear? He says, well, she told me. And the doctor says, oh, now this loon, what is she talking about? This, you know, 12-month-old baby told her. She came and, you know, goes, she says, what do you mean she told you? <laughs> yeah, she used sign language. She put the pain sign next to her ear. So the doctor mm -hmm. did a little more probing. And her middle ear was full of fluid, and she had about a 35%, you know, sound reduction. So they drained her ear, and she was fine through her, you know, uh, um, station tube. So uh, the point is that um, the doctor then started giving my book, my little sign language book, to all his new moms coming in. <laughs> this is great, boy. If a if a baby can tell me what's wrong, where it hurts. Man, that's just everything right there. So if nothing else, yeah. do that with your kid. You know, uh, learn the pain sign to put it wherever you bump yourself or hurt yourself, and and let the baby see you do that half dozen times a, a, a day if you can for a while until they say, hey, when I hurt, I'm going to put my pain sign there too. You know, so if nothing else, mm. do that. You know, but yeah, uh, that's drjosephgarcia.com. Not don't spell out the word doctor because it, it'll go to somebody else. Uh -huh. But, um, yeah, if, even if you don't use my stuff, just do that with, with your kid. That's all, all that's what I want to, my final thoughts is just to engage your child and be a good parent and, and stimulate them and help them develop that attitude to be able to pursue things and not just let life happen to, to them. Sure. Well, again, uh, definitely a very uh, powerful and, and, and honestly, just a really generous message, um, that you share. So, um, thank you again for your, for your time and for coming on the show. Uh, drjosephgarcia.com is the website. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Garcia. Oh, it's nice being here. Thanks for having me on your show.
All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much to Dr. Joseph Garcia for stopping by. Again, you can find all of his books and, and more information on his work at drjosephgarcia.com. We will have information in the show notes for that as well. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for providing the music for today's show. And as always, thank you to the listener for listening to the episode. I also want to invite you to listen to my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by myself and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games, but instead of just talking about news, reviews, and current events, we also try and talk about why gaming matters and really find um, interesting stories about why gaming has an emotional connection and meaning for us. If you like video games and you like long-form conversations, I highly recommend that you check out Pick Up Your Sticks, which is available everywhere podcasts are found. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week. Stay up. Stay up.